0: Cool. Well, let's, uh, let's take out our Bibles this morning. We're going to be opening them up to 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. In the first service, I said chapter 12, but of course there's no chapter 12 in 1 John. I said that um, it's so good he could have kept writing 12 chapters probably, but uh, 1 John chapter 2. And before we do that, I noticed that Beck Baldwin is uh, back this morning from London. Hello. Welcome. Great to see you. Yeah, let's welcome her back. Who's been enjoying this warm weather? Yes, it's fantastic. Lap it up. All right, let's pray. God, I thank you that already we've been able to worship you this morning, set our hearts and our gaze upon you been able to partake of communion, we've been able to give out of our substance to you, Lord, and I thank you that we've been able to, we're now able to open up your word. Thank you, Lord, for just the privilege and blessing it is to gather together as your people. And Lord, I know that for some of us here, to get here this morning, it was a great joy and pretty easy to do so, and for others it involved a bit more of an effort and a cost, Lord. But the main thing is is that we're here, and thank you that no one is here by accident or coincidence this morning, Lord God, that you desire to meet with each one of us, you desire to um, grow us, to impact us, to change us, Lord, and I pray that we would not leave this place the same as we came in, Lord God. So as we open up your word, speak to us, I pray, and uh, help me as I proclaim these words I feel you put on my heart, and I uh, thank you that you can speak through a donkey so that you can uh, speak through me this morning, Lord God. So give us uh, ears to hear, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. He writes, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the Word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So he's writing here throughout the letter of John, as we've been looking at over the last month or so in this series on 1 John. He writes to bring this sense of certainty to believers certainty around the nature of our salvation, the nature of sin, the significance and the importance of walking in the light and not in the darkness. He doesn't beat around the bush. He tells it how it is. And so again here this morning, he starts this passage we're focusing on with, I am writing to you. It's again this sense of certainty. It's almost like he's saying, I want you to remember this. Even a declaration over us today, that your sins are forgiven, that you know God, that you have overcome the evil one. And our best defense against the darkness, against false teaching, against the temptation of sin or the love of the world is to remember what we are and all that God has done for us. Often it's so important to be brought back to And remember the fundamentals, the simple things. And it's important at times, I think, to be reminded of our spiritual standing in Christ. And so there's so much in the passage, really, that we could delve into. Even just about how it's written and the poetic nature of these verses. And I don't want to delve too much into all that today. There's a particular aspect I want to bring out of this passage. But just to kind of, before we get there... It's an interesting pattern of writing. He says, I'm writing to you. And he talks about the little children, the fathers, the young men. And he uses those terms, uh, repeats them. And there's many different perspectives among theologians about his meaning and what he's saying there and who he's writing to. And so one potential option, of course, is the different age groups in the church. The young, the kind of middle-aged or younger and, and more mature. But then we read about the blessings that John's speaking of, and they're not just exclusive possessions of any one age group in the church. They're the blessings of the Christian life. And so another option is stages of maturity in the Christian life. You know, the Lord desires that we grow in maturity. We grow deeper in our walk with the Lord. And so that definitely, there's weight to that as well. But there's a the sense that it can be inclusive of all of us as followers of Jesus. Because no matter who we are, no matter how old or how young we are, no matter what we're facing, the season that we're in, in Christ, our sins have been forgiven. We know Him who is eternal. And we have the strength by which we can face and overcome the evil one. The truth of this is key for us to both remember And to live by. And so this morning, I want to talk today about being an overcoming people. About being overcomers. Almost as a reminder and a declaration over us that in Christ, we have overcome the evil one. And so when we think about this idea of being overcomers, there's this temptation to think of it in terms of perhaps uh, success or wealth or influence or fame. But there's something more to it, I believe, that is significant for us this morning. And the word used in this passage today for overcome, you have overcome the evil one, is the Greek word nekeo, which means to conquer, to prevail, to get the victory. And so uh, a few weeks ago, Andrew, uh, in one of the messages that he preached, he kind of touched on this idea of what an overcomer looks like. And he gave a definition that I just thought was too good to just hear only once. So I have brought it again this morning. I hope that's okay. We'll reinforce it in, in our hearts and minds. It says, An overcomer is one who, saved by God's grace and baptized by the radical love of the Father, refuses to conform to the world, hears and responds only to what the Spirit says, stands firm through the fires of temptation, rejoices through suffering for His name's sake, loves not their life unto death, shakes the gates of hell, and lives as a burning witness to the living God. I don't know about you, but that is a picture of what I desire my life to look like. I desire to live as an overcomer, and I pray we would all have that desire to live in that way and for those things to mark our lives. The Apostle John, he loved this word overcome. He uses it here in this passage today and in a couple of more times uh, for the rest of 1 John. And then he also uses it on seven occasions in the book of Revelation when he's, he's using it to describe believers and the blessings that we receive for overcoming. And you know, when he writes that you have overcome, he's not, he's not using that word to describe a special class of believers. You know, kind of the, the uh, who's who, the extra holy, extra anointed ones. No, that's not it at all. He's using this word He's describing all of God's people, all of us as Christians, are called to be overcomers. But the problem is that many Christians don't feel like overcomers. They feel perhaps more defeated than victorious. And so John's purpose here and throughout the rest of the letter is to reveal the lies and the other things that rob Christians of their confidence in Christ and remind us of the truth of the gospel that sets us free and enables us to be overcomers. And so when we talk about being overcomers in many ways it fits in and flows on from resurrection sunday. The place we were at last Sunday it was a wonderful time of celebration, gathering together to remember Jesus, to remember that he is, you know, risen from the grave that he's alive and well, that he is triumphant, that he's victorious, he's conquered, all those wonderful things. Because of that, the life that we have, the victory that we can walk in. And those things are wonderful, but I think it's important for us to not just live from that place or remember that or celebrate that on one day a year, on Easter Sunday, but to live from that place each and every day of our lives. And so we're called to live as overcomers, to be a prevailing people, a conquering people. But there's this tension, isn't there? We know that the work of the cross is finished and complete. We know that through Jesus' death and resurrection, Satan was defeated. That death lost its power and sting. That as a result, we're seated in heavenly places in Christ. That there's a victory that we can walk in. That uh, we are more than conquerors, the Bible says. Yet, I'm sure all of us would agree that there are struggles. That there are trials. That there are temptations. That there are obstacles that we all Face that there are mountains that we must climb from time to time. The prince of this world is at work. Does anyone else agree with that this morning? Okay. I'm not just preaching to myself and a a couple of others here, that's good. We could put it like this that the victory is won, but there is still fighting to be done. And the Bible makes it clear that the world is a is a battleground, not just a playground. I think that's why it says so often that we're to be a people who are steadfast. We're to stand firm in Him. We're to be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Sometimes, as as Christians, we can often get caught up or focus a lot on or be bogged down in overemphasizing or focusing on the devil, the enemy. It's like we can kind of look for a the enemy and the devil around every corner. And so this morning I'm not I'm not wanting in any way to give him any attention or credit or anything like that. But also we need to recognize that he's at work. But our perspective as believers needs to be big God, little devil. For we are not victims, we're not more uh, sorry, we're not less than conquerors. We're more and conquer us through Him who loved us. Praise God. So let me ask you this morning are you living as an overcomer? Or perhaps I'll put it this way How big is your God? How big is your God? Because I believe this is a, a key in determining the degree to which we live as overcomers. If our perspective of Him is, is right, we will size of the, see the size of the mountain that we're facing in light of the size of our God. We will see the might of the storm that we might be in the midst of, in light of the might of our God. We will see the the trial that we're kind of just doing our best to stand in, in light of the triumph of our God. We will see the depth of our failures and weaknesses and mistakes, in their right perspective, in light of the depth of the love of God, and His ability to restore and redeem. So, if we are overcomers, that means there are things to overcome. If we are more than conquerors, that means there are going to be things to conquer as part of this ongoing work of sanctification in our lives. So, a couple of things I want to bring out about being an overcoming people this morning. As overcomers, we need to know what we are overcoming. I said earlier, we, we don't want to ever be in a place where we focus too much on the enemy. But at the same time, as it says in 2 Corinthians 2.11, we need to pe- be a people who are not unaware of his schemes. So in the natural s- sense, let's think about, say, a, a military battle or a military strategy. When you're um, planning tactics and the strategy to defeat an opposing arm- enemy, an army, you're not just want to going to be ignorant, are you? You need to know and factor in what you will need to overcome, what the enemy is like, what strategies and tactics they might use. And so I don't think it's insignificant that John writes, you are strong, that the word, the word of God abides in you, you have overcome the evil one, and then proceeds to warn against love for the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Because all these things are things that tempt and lure us away from living as overcomers. When he writes, you have overcome the evil one. That's the one we are overcoming. And you know, he only does one thing. That's lie. In John chapter 8, it talks about when he lies, he just speaks his native language. That's all he can. Do, that's all he does. And so all of the enemy's efforts to destroy or undermine our faith, to steal and kill and destroy, can be summed up in that one thing, that he lies, and there's two kinds of lies, or two strategies of the lies, broadly speaking, his accusation and his temptation. He accuses and he tempts. He accuses us with the sin that we have done and tempts us with the sin that we have not yet done. So let's unpack this a little bit this morning. And let's keep in our minds as well that in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 14, it says that thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph in Christ. So with that in mind, we can say in Christ, we can overcome the accusations of the evil one. The name Satan literally means accuser accuser, like a big, you know, big dibba dobber that comes. Dad, this, you know, he's doing this, he's doing that. That's what he does. He tries to accuse us, accuse us before the Lord. This is what they're doing wrong. He loves to remind us of what we have done, our failures, our mistakes, our shortcomings, who we were, and all that we've you know, messed up in. And so whenever we try to grow or move on, come into more freedom, whatever it might be, he doesn't, he's there reminding us. A number of years ago, when my, uh, my family moved to Canberra to be part of this church, grew up in Sydney, I was about 14 years old at the time. Uh, and we were getting, trying to get to know people in the church and uh, people would invite us over for dinner and vice versa, we'd have people over as well. And I had a bit of an issue around that time. I don't know what came over me. I didn't have a, a drinking problem, but a drink-pouring problem. And um, I don't know what happened but it was like every time we either went to someone's house or someone came over I'd either spill a drink or break a glass or something like that at this one time not long after we'd been down here we went we got invited over to a family's house for dinner and I was doing the right thing seeking to serve and I was pouring a drink and unfortunately I I somehow knocked the glass over it went all over this poor host lady and uh, I felt very embarrassed and then not long after that we had a guest over for dinner at my family's house And again, I thought I'd do the right thing and serve and, you know, kingdom-minded kind of thing. I got up, I sought to pour it with this jug that we had, and it was one of those jugs that had a really dodgy pouring spout. Have you ever had one of those? They're so annoying. And I was there standing and nothing was coming out, what I thought anyway. But what I couldn't see was that it was coming out, it was just dribbling down the side of the, pouring down the side of the jug. And I'm standing there, I'm saying, oh, I'm sorry, it's not coming out, and then what is happening is that it's going all over the tablecloth, all over this poor lady. And my sisters, I have three sisters, they saw what was happening and, of course, started laughing and uh, ribbing me about it. And I was most embarrassed. And you'll be pleased to know that since then I have moved on. I have grown and matured in my drink-pouring ability and gifting. But almost every family gathering that we have, dinner or lunch or things like that, Whenever I try and do the right thing and offer to pour someone a drink, my sisters will remind me and they'll, they'll make sure I never forget those issues that I had with pouring drinks. They'll say, oh, careful, Adam, don't spill the drinks. They'll say, do you remember that time? Do you remember that time that lady came out? And, and enough, they burst out laughing and we all have a chuckle. and It's all right. I've received some ministry about it, so I've moved on. But they always bring it up. They always remind me. I'm still held to those issues and mistakes by my sisters, which is fine. It's good fun. But in a far more serious way, in our lives of faith, as we seek to live as overcomers, as we seek to move forward, as we seek to grow and mature, as we seek to perhaps step out in faith a little bit, as we seek to walk in greater degrees of freedom in our lives, the enemy doesn't really like that much. So as we do that, he'll say, "Oh, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. Aren't you the one that always would just spill drinks every time you went to pour them? Aren't you the one that when you stepped out before, in faith, it was just a big flop? Why would you do that again? Aren't you, why are you going to step out and start praying for people and believe that the Lord will heal them? I know what's going on in your life. Do you know what I mean? You could probably fill in the blank there. He loves to just point out and accuse and remind us of those things that perhaps were once a part of our lives or those things that we are still working through. And in that place, when he brings those accusations, when he holds us to those past issues and things that um, perhaps have been a part of our lives, we need to remember in those moments what God says about us, not just what the enemy accuses us in. We remember that our sins are forgiven, as it says here in the passage. They're washed away as if they never happened in God's eyes because of what Jesus has done. So complete and sufficient was his sacrifice on the cross. So when we allow what God says, when we allow the truth of God's Word to abide in us, when we remember we're forgiven, every accusation can be overcome. So let me say to you this morning, don't believe the enemy's lies. When he tries to hold you to past mistakes, when he tries to you know, accuse you of, of perhaps a past way of life, <clears throat> remember that Christ has Forgiven you and set you free, that there is no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. That the old is gone, the new has come. We're a new creation in Him. So in Christ we can overcome the accusations of the evil one. In Christ we can also overcome the temptation of the evil one, the temptation that that says the world's way is better than God's way, the lie that other things are better or more appealing. That God is not good. Why would, he, why would he not want you to do that? That Surely he doesn't love you. Surely he's not good. He brings those things through the desires of the flesh and the love of the world. I'm not just talking this morning about you know, the temptations to sin that come by lying or cheating or perhaps in areas of sexual immorality. But How about the temptation to blame God? To give up on him? To lose faith or abandon his promises? Where our hearts... Even when our hearts are lured away by the desires of the eyes, the desires of the flesh, and our own pride. Remember, we know the one who is from the beginning. We know this God. So as we keep our focus on him, we can overcome the temptation. It's like as our focus is on him, it's like the lure and love of the world. It's like, no, no, no. I'm keeping my eyes on the Lord. The desires of the flesh... The desires of the eyes, the pride of life, the lure of the world and love for the world. These things will actually quash quash, and erode our ability to overcome, to live as overcomers. In James 1, it says that each person's tempted when he is lured away and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when that's conceived, it actually gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. There are always going to be temptations that come, that we have to overcome, because we're in the world, the enemy is at work, but we must remember that we're no longer slaves to sin. Though we stumble and fall, we're no longer slaves to sin or mastered by it. He may accuse, he may tempt, but in Christ we have overcome the evil one. And so if we can know and recognize what it is we are overcoming, this is vital for us, to be an overcomer. Secondly, as overcomers, though, we need to know how to overcome. We need to know how to overcome. We overcome by knowing our position and our standing in Christ, by remembering who He is, by remembering what He has done for us, and by remembering what we are, that we're forgiven. By breaking agreement with the lies of the enemy, When we agree with him, we give authority to accuse and to tempt, for him to accuse and to tempt. Remember, we must know our position and standing in Christ. Verses like 1 John 3, 8, the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the devil. Revelation 12, verse 11, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, it's Jesus' sacrifice, and the word of our testimony. So our posture or our standing and position, if you like, needs to be in that place of under the authority of the cross's victory the blood, by the blood of the Lamb, and then steadfastness to the promise and the authority of God's word, which is our testimony. That's key to overcoming. John's saying, I'm writing to you to remind you. I'm proclaiming these truths to you, that you are forgiven. That clears us from every accusation. That you know God, that means there is a maturity and a steadfastness and an ability to resist the lure of the temptation, the lies of the enemy. He says that you are strong. That means that we're not to walk as victims. We're not to walk defeated, tossed about and blaming everyone and everything for things that happen. But in Christ, you have overcome the evil one. We overcome by knowing our position and standing, but we also overcome By having the word of God abide in us, remain in us, dwell in us richly. This, I believe, is key. You know, we live in a a world and a society that loves to know secrets to success or shortcuts to growth and success. Well, I, I feel like in the kingdom, to be honest, there are no real shortcuts to growth and to success. There are things that we can do to kind of speed up, that process, but there's no shortcuts to living as an overcomer. And we need to know the Word of God and be able to use it effectively so that when those accusations come, the lies come, we know it. This is who God says I am. I'm not going to listen to what those lies are coming against me. And so to know the Word of God, to have it dwell in us richly, It's got to come off the shelf, be dusted off, opened up and read and allow it, the words of truth, the words of truth and life to dwell in our hearts. I don't think it's insignificant or coincidence that John writes that we are strong essentially because the word of God abides in us. Therefore, we are able to overcome the evil one. And you know, I really believe We've talked about lies and the accusation and all that. But I really believe that as the people of God, we need to know what God says about us. We need to know what God says about our family situation. We need to know what God says about our finances, about our relationships, about our physical bodies, about our future. We find that in here. This word of truth, the word of God abiding in us. You know, When Jesus was uh, tempted in Matthew 4 or Luke Luke 4, a couple of the accounts of that, the enemy comes to bring accusation and temptation, doesn't he? If you are the son of God, basically saying, are you really, you know, getting him to doubt? And then he brings the temptation. Well, you're pretty hungry. How about you take these stones and make them bread? He was trying to get him not to trust his father for, for provision. He says, you know, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, trying to put the Lord to the test. All the, Every accusation and temptation the enemy brought to the Lord Jesus was quashed, was refuted by what? The word of God. Every lie the enemy brought, he says, no, it is written. Bam. It is written. Bam. Quash that lie as well. The word of God, so important that it abides in us. And... <laughs> All right, I'm just going to say, I'm going to say this because I feel it the Lord's put on my heart. I feel like some of us here today really need to hear that. Perhaps uh, move away from social media as being the things that we read and feed our souls with. Move away from the trashy romance novels as the main source of what's coming in here. And open up our Bibles. I say that with no arrogance or judgment, but I really feel like, certainly this year anyway, that that the Lord has really put a burden on my my heart for that, both to be reading the Word, but also to be stirring up the people of God um, to be in the Word, to know what He says about us. In Ephesians 6, we read, This incredible passage about the armor of God, all these wonderful bits of armor that are defensive in nature, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, and those are wonderful things. And then it goes on to talk about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's the only offensive weapon that we use to silence the lies of the enemy. As we believe the the word of God, as we welcome it, as we receive it, as we embrace it, it abides and dwells richly in us. So knowing our position and standing in Christ and holding fast to that, allowing the word of God to abide in us is not always going to be a walk in the park on a bed of rose petals, you know, dancing and kind of easy. There's intentionality involved. There's tenacity involved in being an overcomer in being aware of the accusations and the temptations the enemy brings. You know, sometimes as we walk as overcomers, as we seek to grow and prevail and conquer and all those things, there will be um, resistance. Sometimes doubt or fear or discouragement or disappointment will arise and seek to throw us off course. But as overcomers, we're not to shrink back from those things, but remember that we are strong, (laughs) who we are in Christ, all that Jesus has done. For us, And in 1 John chapter 5, we come to know that because we are born of God, we are overcomers. We do not have to walk around defeated. We don't have to walk around stumbling at every accusation or temptation because Jesus has made us victors. He has defeated the enemy and we share in his victory. And in a world that is always seeking to pull us into its lures and vices, in a world where darkness is more and more prevalent, where false teaching is on the rise, where the schemes of the enemy are always at work, I believe that it's time for the people of God to rise up and by faith claim all that Jesus has paid for and one for us to be a prevailing people, to be an overcoming people, not easily swayed, not easily thrown off course or discouraged, but strong, knowing the assurance of who our God is and who we are in Him. So how do you see yourself? In Christ. Are you an overcomer? Do you know and remember your standing in him? The assurance of salvation. That your sins are forgiven. That Jesus has won the victory. I pray. That we may be able to say with conviction. And without any shadow of a doubt. That we are strong. That the word of God abides in us. And that in Christ we have overcome the evil one. I believe that's God's call for us. His desire that we live as overcomers. Amen. Amen. Would you stand uh, this morning? And if you would like prayer for anything this morning, please uh, make your way to the front. We've got a prayer team ready and willing to pray for you. Just particularly in this area of overcoming, if if there's just that sense, as uh, I've been sharing this morning, that you just, you actually feel more defeated than victorious. Where you perhaps don't feel much like an overcomer. That perhaps there may be things that are just uh, weighing you down. Seeking to throw you off course. I'd love to just invite you, give opportunity for you to come and receive prayer today. That the Lord would just bring a fresh touch. So, Lord, uh, just now we, we focus our attention upon you. We remember who you are. That you are faithful. That you are great. That you are steadfast. That you are loving. That you are true. That you are victorious. And I pray too that we would also remember that we are forgiven. That we are strong in you, Lord. And that in you, We are overcomers, Lord. I pray that we would be a people who overcome, that we would be a a prevailing people, Lord God, that we would live up to the standard that you set in your word, where you say that we are more than conquerors, Lord God. And Lord, I pray for those here this morning who are facing trials and struggles, obstacles and mountains that they're seeking to climb. Lord, would you strengthen us, I pray. Lift off discouragement, lift off disappointment, Lord. And I just pray that you would bring an overcoming spirit, Lord God, to each and every one of us here. May we not leave this place the same. But may we go knowing the assurance that you are with us, Lord God. And if you are with us and you are for us, who can be against us, Lord God? May we go with great joy, Lord God, and just a fresh revelation, Lord, I pray we are called to live as overcomers. So help us to to do that, Lord, I pray. And I just bless each and every person here. The fresh touch from you today. Fresh fire. That we would know your presence and your power at work within us. I pray these things in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. Amen.